Hey everybody, I'm Greg Soule and this is Why Am I, a podcast where I talk to interesting people and try and trace a path to where they find themselves today. My guest this go around is Mark Amato. So this 60 something went from being raised by TV, same, uh, to being part of it, not same. And not only has he been writing and producing in Hollywood since the 90s, but he also teaches, which honestly most of the time is all I need to know about somebody and their passion uh, for something. Uh, Mark also churns out Christmas movies more frequently than most of us change our toothbrush. Um, but honestly, this one goes deep. And it's not all, it's not all um, about Hallmark movies, right? I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark. Mark, thank you for joining me on the YMI podcast today. It's great to be here. Hey, folks. <laughs> Sprite, smiling. Uh, running high on caffeine, just uh, just the way I like my friends. Thank you. Yeah, my father used to say growing up, why is that kid so happy? Because I was always sort of like, I got a song in my step. I don't know why. But hey, guess what? It, every day's a good day. That's man. Can you just call me every morning? Just yeah, uh, I, just wake me up. It's to people. I think you know. So, and I feel for people who who suffer from any type of depression because my brain for whatever reason has got like this huge bag of serotonin so even when and i've had some really really rough patches in my life it's sort of like tomorrow's gonna be better no it's gonna be fine it's sort of like i'm that guy i'm yeah. always that guy so sort of like you know really can you sort of like kind of tap your brakes today it's not a really great day and i really don't need this cup of sunshine but guess <laughs> what got it oh take it or leave it here we go um yeah so mark generally what i like to do whenever i'm meeting a new person after we get past, hey, the weather's nice and all that. Yeah, right. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a small talk person, which I hear is, is, is oh. bad. You know, you, you need that, um, you need that bridge to kind of make a connection with people. But very quickly, I usually say, all right, well, who are you? You know, it's like I, I love presenting somebody with the opportunity to really tell me who they are inside, like not how the world perceives them, but who they are. So, Mark, who are you? Yeah, I'm. Hmm. I'm, I'm the, uh, the the embodiment of a of a dream of a four year old kid who was basically stuck in front of the television as basically the babysitter, um, and fell in love with TV at an early age, and you know grew up you know running home after school where the other kids would be going outside, and I would turn on the TV and watch reruns of every show from the '60s and '70s. It just sort of like no, I was completely entranced. This was a world that I wanted to be in. And, um, you know, it, it's strange, you know, grew up in New, New Jersey where it's sort of like the, the idea to be anywhere near comedy or, um, you know, TV, theatrics, anything like it's just like so far from the truth. But I, in the back of my head, always, always knew. So, and I grew up early on, it's sort of like I was uh, raised Catholic. I didn't have to go to Catholic school, but I did have to go to catechism. And I remember asking, putting my hand up saying, you know, if I get a divorce, will I go to hell? Because the idea was, you know, if you move to Hollywood, Mark, you know, you're probably going to get married and you're going to get <laughs> divorced. So I was I thought that far ahead. And uh, the answer, remember, it wasn't taught by priests or, or uh, nuns. It was just sort of like parents that would volunteer. And they answered it in a way that was sort of like so nebulous that it almost seemed like the no, Mark, you're fine. You <laughs> golden ticket, go follow your dream. So oddly enough, I uh, my parents ended up taking a trip to from San Francisco down to La Jolla when I was 10 and fell in love with La Jolla, ended up moving us west. So this was sort of like my first foray to say, hey, Mark, the dream is going to happen. 
And, you know, through stumbles and uh, I don't know, twists of fate, I managed to achieve my dream. And it's a dream that is, it's, it's interesting because it's the only business that doesn't reward experience. It's <laughs> the only business where, hey, guess what? You're only as good as until the next job you get. And you're constantly climbing the ladder. You constantly have to, you know, sort of like claw your way through to survive. And I've had a lot of adversities that sort of like kind of push me back to square one where you're playing Monopoly, go straight to go, you know, do not, I mean, go, or go to jail or go right back to go. I think that's what it would have you do. And you have to work your way around the board. And I've done that. I want to say probably three times where it looked like I'm done. I'm finished. There's nothing left for me to do. And I would go to the place, okay, Mark, you're a comedy writer. What else can you do? Can you open a funny bakery? You know, it's like, no, this is what I do. I'm comedy. I have to come <laughs> up with like the, all right, well, what about this? Well, what about this? So because the muscles that I sort of like developed over the course of survival, I managed to sort of like pull myself out of hole after hole and become, I want to say the success that I am, but the success where, hey, guess what? I finally reached a point where I don't fear not working again. And maybe that's a bad thing, but it's not because I, I kind of realized that even if I don't work after a year or so, I know it's okay, Mark, it's time to come up with a new tune. So what's the new tune? So, you know, I, I love what I do. I'm a very, I want to say, I, I count very few that actually truly have a passion of what I do. And I've reached the point where, you know, I go to a dentist and it's so like, I asked them, why'd you become a dentist? You know, I went to, uh, uh, I had a root canal. And I'm thinking, I said to the, the guy, I said, okay, wait a minute. You're like in the worst profession in the world. Your metaphor is <laughs> I would rather have dinner with my ex-wife than get a root canal. And he looks at me and says, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. He's because I've got the worst relationship with my ex-wife. I said, next <laughs> to me, next to me. I says, okay, we'll answer the question. He says, you want to know something more? He says, the reason why I got into this field is I, I have people who come to my office in pain and when they walk away, they feel better. And I said, Boom, that's it. You're one of my 12 apostles. It's sort of like, that's what I want in terms of the people that I want in my life are people that are at that level. So like, okay, no, you didn't just kind of fall into it. My dad was a dentist and I just sort of like, no, that's a mealy mouth way of living life. And my feeling is like, I want to go for the gold. You know, okay. If I end up with the silver, that's fine, but I'm always going for the gold. That's cool. That's me in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. Something you said, it, it kind of made me think of because uh, you were saying, you know, no matter what happened, I would think I was, you know, I was done here. I was done there. Things always have a way of kind of working out, huh? I, you know, want somebody I say, yes, they do. I mean, here, I'll give you it early on. I mean, you know, coming to, I came, I went to UCLA from San Diego and here I am. I'm, you know, I, all I want to do is be a writer. Uh, maybe, maybe in the darkest crevice is sort of like be a performer because I love Saturday Night Live. And it's sort of like, that was always sort of like the ultimate goal. Wow. To be a Saturday Night Live performer. So uh, one day in, I'm working for the Brillstein company. They represent everybody on Saturday Night Live. It's like, wow. All right. So it's, it was August of 1988 and I'm riding my bike in Santa Monica. It's like my happy-go-lucky day. <laughs> my front tire gets caught in a rut in the road and throws me, boom, right in my face. Oof. It's like, oh my God, I'm like a lacerations, whatever. People are coming out of the car, okay, hold my head back, whatever it is. They rush me to the hospital. And I basically, I'm in six hours of plastic surgery, put Humpty Dumpty together again. Whoa. For probably the next month and a half, I'm wrapped up like a human Q-tip. Okay. I couldn't go to work. Even my boss was like, you got to come to work. So this way we could see how bad it is. 
So I came to work. And so they served me, they kind of swole it up. It looked like a boxer. And okay, I survived that. And it just like, you know, you now I'm very self-conscious of my appearance, but I still have this desire. It's sort of like, okay. And I put, I want to say two years as an assistant with the manager I was working for at an agency. Now I'm a year in, in the company. And he promised me, Mark, hey, give me a year and I'll help you become a writer. Well, he needed to tuck me in with a glass of milk for that story because I knew that wasn't going to happen. I'm just an assistant. So I decided no one's tapping me on the shoulder. Why don't I just start faxing jokes to Weekend Update? Just okay. That time the fax was very popular and you saw Brillstein Gray at the top. So guess what? The star would read, oh my God, this is a really funny joke. I'm going to use it. So I would tune in on Saturday. It was like, that's my joke. It was like, that's my joke. So all the other assistants, and there were only probably about eight, they were like kind of, yay, Mark, Mark's achieved the dream. So it was probably six weeks of like, wow, I've finally got validated. I'm good enough to be a comedy writer on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> One of the partners pulls me into his office because he had heard, and I thought he's going to say, hey, Mark, congratulations. But he basically says, who do you think you are? I says, excuse me? He says, who do you think you are sending jokes to my client? I says, I'm sorry, did he complain? He says, Mark, that's not the point. You're an assistant. That's all you do. If you write again, you're fired. Hmm. So here was me with a wah, wah, wah in my real life to say, okay, everything that I was hoping for, okay, I got to push back. Push back with a bike accident. Push back with even in success, you fail. Now what? And it was a place where it was one of my first, okay, pivot, Mark. What are you going to do? Well, I knew I was going to be a, 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 a writer here. So I had to look for another job. So I ended up getting a job in development as a manager of comedy development for Sony Pictures TV. And it was sort of like, well, I felt like, hey, guess what? A creative executive. That's pretty good. That's got to be close to being a writer, right? Yeah, of course. No, it was complete and utter opposite. It was basically <laughs> uh, Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross with me as an executive trying to sell to the network uh, uh, ideas come that, with, with some of the comedy writers that we had uh, under contract. And what happened is I unfortunately had an opinion. So we would have writers that would come <laughs> up, come in with a, an idea that was like, okay, there's no series here. I remember there was one called The Charmings. And The Charmings, there was a 13-episode commitment at CBS. The idea was what would happen after uh, the end of uh, Snow White with, with Snow White and Prince Charming now together as husband and wife. And they've got children. They've got the evil witch. Got, okay, and I was like, that sounds like a funny sketch, but I don't know how that's a series. And I'm saying this to the CBS executive. He says, uh, Mark, we have a 13 episode commitment with, I don't think you should be saying this. So within <laughs> 10 months, I, I got fired. I basically got restructured. My last name ends in a vowel. So they weren't sure what would happen. So, well, let's throw them a little bit of money and now let's see what happens. So I did in the first time in my life, I was 28 years old and uh, out of a job and now with a little, maybe probably like a six month cushion. And it was like, okay, now Mark, you got to figure it out. What are you going to do? And it was the year of friends and friends has exploded because the job that I got at, at Sony, I had a guy who wanted to be my agent. So he says, Mark, just write me uh, a friend spec and you're going to be golden. So I did. Uh, I, and he says, okay, this is good. This is like, this is because uh, the show's debut in uh, September. So by October, November, I had the script done, finished, over, finished. Okay, good, Mark, you're golden. Just sit tight, collect your unemployment, and come May, we'll start putting you up for, for shows because that's when networks announce their fall schedule. 
well, this is a big chunk of change for me to sit around like, okay, well, let me figure out what else can I do? So I'm watching Mary Tyler Moore show at Nick at night from 10 to 11. It's like, Mary, Mary, Mary. And it's like this show. And I remember as a little kid, this show was really great. Well, now I'm watching it as an adult saying, no, this is Evan. Brilliant. So I thought to myself, what if I were to write a Mary Tyler Moore spec? It's like, well, that's crazy. But no, it's not crazy. So I went to the Hollywood bookstore and they would have old scripts. I found an old Mary Tyler Moore script. <laughs> and the way they wrote it back in the day is they would, uh, um, sorry, um, they would, uh, uh, it would be typed, cut and paste. Literally, you they would write lines and they would cut and paste. So I uh, said, okay, I'm going to have to write it very similar to this in terms of style. I did. I turned it in with like zero expectations. And the agent was like, I can't believe you wrote a Mary Tyler Moore spec. And I said, well, what do you think? He said, I think it's really, really good. Well, that spec became my sort of like calling card. Everybody <laughs> wanted to meet the guy who wrote the Mary Tyler Moore. Okay. So um, this was sort of like the, my, my first major foray, but open all the doors. It got me on staff in my first show. It became sort of like the, it was almost an apocryphal story of, hey, do you remember the guy who wrote a Mary Tyler Moore spec? And you know, since then, I've heard people have, some some writers have tried writing the I Love Lucy or um, uh, Dick Van Dyke show. I had a, a, a fantasy of after Seinfeld rap because a writer constantly has to come up with new calling material. So that Mary Tyler Moore was great for like a year or two. But every year you got to come up with a new one. I wrote, you know, um, what else did I write? Malcolm in the Middle. It was sort of like, okay, whatever the the script is your, you had to write. Then I remember watching the the finale of uh, Seinfeld, and everybody, almost universally, even Larry David actually brought it back on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, reviled that last episode was so so bad. So I had the fantasy of writing a a, a, a spec Seinfeld. Everything ends the way it should. So like, what a great title, okay? That that could possibly be. Fortunately, I didn't need a job that season, but I always thought in my, the back of my head, that would be a great spec to do because everyone went on to read it. So it, it can become kind of a calling card then. Because like, I was curious, it's like, they're not going to revive the Mary Tyler Moore show. It's just right. a, a way for you to kind of get that energy out and then show people what you can do. Is that the idea? Well, what it what it is, Greg, is I always say this. You know, I, I teach a writing class at AFI, and they, you know, they constantly are asking. You know, they're one thing they want to learn the form, no doubt, but they want to they want to work. They want to figure out, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? What should I do? So sh should I write this spec? Should I write that spec? And they're coming, they're approaching the 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 the, the task from fear, from desperation. Well, mm. this is what I have to do, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Again, if you have to do it, you're not going to love it. You know, if I had to be a vegan, goes back to that. Now, if I'm a vegan and I want to make a meal that I'm absolutely in love with, it's going to be eggplant parmesan, all right? Well, if you're a comedy writer and your passion is to write this, write that. If they're telling you to write something else, okay, but my experience in 30 years, 40 years of, of being a writer is passion is always key. Whenever I chased the dollar sign, that it was literally, the dollar sign was running away. <laughs> Whenever I sort of like follow the passion, somehow that passion led to a dollar sign. Hey, it found, it found, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I love that. I love the idea of, well, I mean, I don't know, starting out, it can be kind of difficult, right? Because you're like, I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay my rent and all that stuff. You've got all that hanging over your head. It is. So, it is. I yeah. mean, it's terrifying. But, you know, and I'm looking at my students, if they're paying, you know, $40,000 a year to go to AFI. So they're in the hole for 80 grand. Okay. And there's some students that I'll get right away 
we're all saying, yeah, I need your parents' email address. And they're like, what? <laughs> I said, need your parents' email address. Just give it to me. And they say, why? I said, because it's their job. And I says, if I was your parent to say, hey, guess what? You need to back your children's dream. I says, they have talent. I'm vetting them. I says, just give them nothing but positive. I says, because guess what? They will find their day. Opposed to, there are some where I just want to, not that I want to say, hey, guess what? You're flunking the academy, but you need that fire. You need that passion. This is a business that, you know, you, there is no half measures. Mm-hmm. And again, the success is there, but you need to sort of like put the blinders on that you don't necessarily need the validation. Yeah. You know, I had one student and it was sort of like, he's an oddball. I mean, he's like, wow, some of the pitches he had for what we do in the shadows, I'm scratching my head. We're sort of like the, even if it didn't work, I would say, I really applaud the effort. So he was one that I, I, you know, took after class and I says, I just want to tell you something. You bang your drum to your own beat. I says, there's going to be a lot of teachers. There's going to be a lot of executive producers that are going to try to put you into a hole. I could put you into a category. The best person that I could, I could think in history is Tim Burton. Tim Burton had a deal and he always had his eyes wide. Tim Burton had a deal with Disney. I says, and they were trying to make him a Disney animator just so like it wasn't his thing. So he came up with this thing called Nightmare Before Christmas. They optioned it, but they didn't get him. So eventually he went over to Fox. He started doing their things. And they real Disney realized, hey, wait a minute. We've got this Nightmare Before Christmas. Maybe we should let him do it. I says, and that's who you are. You are. I said, I'm not saying you should follow his 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 uh, footsteps and become a, a, a knockoff. I says, you've got your own vision, your own taste, your own take on the world. I says, don't let anybody adulterate that in one fathom whatsoever. That's what I would hire you for. So it's sort of like, and to find that, you know, it's sort of like I tried to start, I tried to do a little bit of stand-up when I first started out because I do impressions. But I realized that if you try to be like somebody else, yeah, you're not going to win. When you own sort of like that individuality of who you are, well, that's when you've got a voice and that's when you become a commodity. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I, you're in um it seems like as a teacher, you're in a, a tough position because one, you get all that energy. So I, I occasionally do some stuff with the, the local university and I don't know, man, it energized me. It jazzed me up to see all these young people actually like on fire to do this thing that they love. But also I've been beaten down by the world. So it's also, I, I kind of want to like temper that a little bit and try and give them some words of advice of like, you know, to, to hold fast and, and make it through. Like what's your, what's your advice to your students to kind of um, maybe you know, help present them, get them ready for the world. It's funny. I, I got to say, I went to um, the University of New Orleans. They, I did a weekend course. And these, I mean, it was sort of like these students, they're in film and TV. But, you know, in New Orleans, what are you really hoping for to get out of this degree in New Orleans? I'm not quite sure. So most of them, this is their weekend. Okay. They had to get up at nine o'clock until five o'clock. So I had a couple of them there. They're like, they're, the arms are folded. And it just sort of like the, oh, I guess I need to win you over. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I'm not feeling like I should be doing a tap dance here, but okay. You can have your arms folded. You can do two. Um, and I just sort of like went through my, my, my spiel. And this was really sort of like learning how to break story. So we get through Saturday and it's like, okay, Sunday, I'm making them like a little bit more, um, uh, creating games, but I start the course where I'm going around the room and these are probably 25 students. So I says, okay, um, and I gave them the, uh, the the homework assignment. I says, tomorrow, I want you to stand up, say who you are, where you come from, 
I says, and give me something that's really maybe something unusual about yourself. I said, because we've been told as the little kids is no, don't be different. You want to be as similar as everybody else because mm -hmm. if you're different, someone's going to pick on you. I says, well, guess what? I want to know something different. I said, so if you give me something that's going to sound very sort of like the, well, and I, you know, I won the ba 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 ba. Well, that's not really interesting. You've got to give me something really unique. So I went around the room, and I was. It was almost sort of like a, a confessional. Each one got up, and you know, I would have one. I grew up with alcoholic parents, and you know, da 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 da. And it was like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And they would reveal something about themselves, and all of a sudden, now I know who you are. And by the end of it, it almost felt like we were sort of like part of a a, a group, a commune that we all shared in all our little oddities. And you know, everybody was laughing at some of the foibles, not at you, but with you. All of a sudden we were part of this group. And by the end, the, uh, the uh, instructor told me, he says, Mark, he's by two o'clock after lunch, he says, you can send him home. So after two o'clock, first of all, at lunch, they all want to go to lunch with me because they want to hear stories. It's like, okay, you run Sweet Life on deck because they grew up on that show. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, they're asking these stories, what have you. And obviously, I'm just as passionate as I am here with you. So I get back to class. I says, okay, guys, this is you're done. You're finished. You've passed. I says, y'all can go home. I said, or keep me here and ask me as many questions as you like. They kept me there till 530. And it was just <laughs> like, they didn't want to let me go. And it became a part where it's sort of like the, you know, I've got this fantasy of going back to my 25-year-old self. And really sort of like, okay, Mark, here I am. Okay, at 60, let me smack some sense into you. These are the mistakes that you're going to make. Okay, this is what you need to do. You need much more self-confidence. You, you need to have passion about the ideas you love. And when somebody craps on your ideas, you have to still believe they're great ideas. And I, I don't know why I had this fantasy because it's like, well, Mark, yes, you'd be a lot more successful right now. But would you be any happier? And I would say definitely not. I'm like at the zenith of could I possibly have anything more than I have right now? And it would be no. So my my how I transfer that energy is I want to go to the 25-year-olds where I'm, I'm teaching to say, hey, these are some life lessons. And the one that I walk away with the most because I feel like I've done so much uh, research in terms of psychology and, per and personality disorders is to realize I started out in the world believing people are basically good okay like me like they're they're warm-hearted open they're they're good they're good people they want to be good i want people to think i'm a good person a people pleaser and the reality is i mean the simple reality particularly in this business but i would say i think it would uh spill out to the world that about 60 percent of the world feels sort of like in the world of what i'm talking about Maybe, you know, again, I'm not talking about politically or anything like that, but just sort of like is a generi generous, empathic spirit, okay? The other 40%, not that they're evil. It's not that they're evil. We're going to take that off the board. They're selfish. It's about their own needs that are become primary over you, to which then the empath becomes sort of like an exchange. Oh, I can steal the light that you are exuding and use to my own advantage and push you down. So I go, and again, this is where I say every job I've been on, every staff, I was on, you know, one staff where I was doing so well, the co-executive producer was so threatened by me, didn't invite me back. Told the told the, hmm. the, the executive producer, if Mark comes back, I'm gone. So wait a minute, wait a second. Bank in my favor? No. Even when you succeed, you lose. So it was sort of like the, oh, if I had to go back, it would be, 
Oh, Mark, how are you going to learn to circumnavigate this personality? In other words, have the self-awareness that, oh, this personality type is threatened by you. How do you circumnavigate that so they're not? Well, if they're not, now you continue to go along with the road of success. And, you know, sometimes it might just be as, okay, Mark, you might have the right idea. Hmm? Or I've been in, on staffs where I was so um, intimidated by the, the people around the table that I didn't pitch out anything. And it was just sort of like, at one point I said the worst thing in the possible. I said, I was just about to say that because everybody laughed at his pitch. It was like, oh, really, Mark? So then I learned the lesson of, okay, Mark, you, you can't edit yourself because you may be editing a great idea. So I would start to say, hey, guys, because it'd be silence around the room. This might be the worst idea ever. It should be my parachute. Yes, Mark, it's the worst one ever. Well, I told you it was. Okay. <laughs> Where generally speaking, it would not be the worst idea. It'd be a great idea. Hey, yeah, well, what if we did this? This By the same uh, token, if I heard a uh, mealy mouth pitch from somebody, I said, wait a second. Derek just came up with a really funny idea. Well, now I've given him sort of like the cachet that, hey, guess what? You've been validated. Well, now Derek isn't saying it like this. Well, what if we were to do this? Everyone is laughing. Guess what? Derek feels better. Now Derek knows he's part of my cadre. So we start to protect one another. I mean, so that's sort of like the, you know, if I were to go back, well, they say, and I do this with each one of my classes is you're going to have that moment where you get your big break, whatever it is. Well, now you have to figure out the hard stuff, which is it's not just about talent. It's okay. How do I, um, how do I continue to survive in a business where you don't know where the next uh, uh, pitfall is going to happen? I always did. I remember in the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner where you'd have that they'd be cutting a, a hole around uh, on the floor. And then all of a sudden you, well, that's what this business is. Hmm. And then sometimes I describe this business where I'll run off the cliff like Coyote, okay, with an idea. But Coyote will only fall when he looks down. Okay. Well, my my philosophy is don't look down. Keep on going with your pitch. Just keep running. That's interesting. You know, I I think I'm uh, I'm in the camp of I think most people are either good or benign, right? You know, it's like they're they're just they kind of exist in the world. Um, the idea that you feel that it's only sixty percent good and forty percent selfish that sucks, and it it made me wonder. Is it something about the industry you're in, the place you're in, where it sort of breeds that imbalance? Do you think in other places, maybe that ratio is a little bit higher? Like there's more just good and benign people versus kind of the selfish? Or do you think that's more universal? Interesting. You know, I I'm, I'm, I want to say the world's optimist. I want to believe in the better of people. But where I come to realize, you know, you know, again, like I say, I'm a stand-up philosopher at this point. Maya Angelou said... When someone shows you their true colors, believe them the first time. And where I go is there are warning signs, there are red flags when you start to see in other in other individuals. I'll give you an example, sort of like the I'll see something on the news where it's sort of like a tragedy, whatever would happen, or someone who's managed to uh, uh, achieve all odds. Okay, there, there was one where he was a, a long distance runner, got hit by a bus, yeah. and now he's in like sort of like he's competing as a uh, you know. A, in, in a wheelchair. And so like, I look at it, it's like, wow. And you show that to some people, let's say you want to know something, you know, that they don't get the same rush that I get. In other words, their life is tough too. You know, just because I wasn't hit by a truck doesn't mean I don't deserve sympathy. It's like, are you getting what you're saying? So where I, what I start to notice is when someone lacks self-awareness, 
where they're just talking about themselves. And so like, wait a second, do you see what just, you're just talking about yourself. You're in your own little world here. Oh, you lack self-awareness. There's absolutely nothing I can do to go, hey, let's ring the bell. Remember, we're talking about me here. We're talking about that person here. Well, it's time not to try to convert that person into a human being. You now, oh, okay. You slowly learn to step away. So, and I want to say, Practically every in industry, I would say probably more so in my business because it's bred by insecurity. Okay. <laughs> and to which I've said to you, every time I'm done with a job, I have to try to find another one. And I've been very, very, I want to say, cautious to never throw the desperation by. In other words, I had two kids. I was at the second child and I'm off staff and I really need my health benefits. Really need them because guess what? I've got two kids here. Yeah. But if I went to my closest friends in the industry, you know, like Oliver, please, sir, I need a meal. Okay, they're not going to give it to me. Okay, only because I'm putting out this desperation vibe. Rather, I learned to pivot. Okay, and the best thing that I would say in this business is to constantly be coming up with some new product, something to talk about. You know, I my favorite thing is I just sold an idea too. Okay. I just sold a couch on eBay. Sounds like, wow, you did something. Okay. I've got, you know, I just, I mean, here's one for you. Which I just had a Christmas idea pitched to Adam Sandler's company. Really? Well, that sounds, sounds really fascinating, Mark. What's the idea? Ba, 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 ba. Guess what? What they don't know is psst, Adam Sandler's people told me he'll never make a Christmas movie. <laughs> Do I need to say that? Do I need to Enter it with a, well, guess what? I pitched a great idea to Adam Sandler's company, but they said no. No, I don't do that. I give the, I'll give you the the positive spin. And now I'm going to take that idea, because I will say this, I pitched it to uh, his manager. His manager said, Mark, that's a great idea. Adam will never do it. So I'll take the positive, which his manager said that. So yeah, and guess what? Mark's going to write that script. Well, now you want to know more about what's going on here, opposed to wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo. So like the world is, 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 it's, it's, there's a big cloud over it. So you always got to find the sunshine, the little ray of, and where I, I look to this generation, which is you could be doing TikTok videos. You can be doing when I was, um, I don't mean to be bouncing all over the place, but there was a writer's guild strike probably, I want to say 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I'm home in my apartment. It's like, there's not much you can do. Okay. And I do a Christopher Walken impression. And someone says, you Mark, you got to do these YouTube videos. So I do Christopher Walken as a nursery school teacher. Kids, settle down. No, I'm serious. Oh, I see you, Timmy Watkins, staring at me in the corner. Big mistake, kiddo. You're going down. <laughs> so it's probably maybe 90 seconds. I post it not thinking anything. It's sort of like the, okay, I threw, I threw a coin into the pond. No one knows where that coin is. About six months later, it's his birthday. And my, I hear my computer going, ring, ring, ring. It's ringing, ringing, ringing. So I go to the computer. There's 250,000 hits on Christopher Walken as a nursery school <laughs> teacher. Why? Because somebody on YouTube decided on his birthday, we're going to post the best impressions on the cover page. And it was one of these things where you'd say, okay, and then what, Mark? Well, and then what somebody, a commercial producer found me and said, hey, I'm making a commercial, a spec commercial I'll pay you to play Christopher Walken in our, my little video. So I did, but what the crazy thing is like, I said, yeah, all right, sure why I'm not working. But I play this, I play racquetball at the time. And the day before the shoot, I get whacked in the, in the eye with a, uh, with a racket. And I 
tell the guy the next day, I said, I got hit in the racket. I said, big black and blue mark. He says, that's okay. We'll just, we'll shoot it. We'll keep it in there. So if you go on YouTube and it's like, I, said, I think it's um, Tax Slayer, Christopher Walken. You'll see it. And it's just sort of like the, all right. And now where did that lead? Nowhere, I want to say in terms of an acting career, but it gave me the self-confidence to say, oh, okay, I guess I can do this. And there's been so many, so many offshoots of like, oh, okay. And then I did this. Uh, I did a, a, a Comedy Central will give you a theater in in Hollywood for one night. They'll they'll give you the 99 seats. You've got it. They're going to shoot it. They'll, whatever you want to do. So I did something called the Last Telethon, and it was Jerry Lewis hosting a telethon to get his movie, this movie that everybody in comedy knows about, called The Day the Clown Cried. Horrible, horrible concept about a clown who leads children into the gas chamber. I mean, it just should never have been made, but it's never been seen, okay? But people have heard about it. Well, I do a telethon, basically a cross between the MDA telethon and reading of this thing that's a 50 minutes long. And just like, where was the dollar sign there? Nowhere. But I packed the theater with a lot of uh, comedy writers that, again, all know about this world of Jerry Lewis. One night only. But because of that, I want to say because of that experience, I got hired on Baby Daddy, which then jumpstarted my career again. And it was just sort of like the, why? Because I did something that was passion driven. There was no dollar sign there, but it, it proved me as an artist to say, hey, I want Mark around my table. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny what I'm hearing a lot is uh, one thing is put yourself out there and then say yes to the opportunities that that happen to come your way. I mean, would you would you say that's pretty much your Absolutely. secret to success there? A Absolutely. And what I was if listen to that voice inside your head, because I, I can't and I don't mean to be banging this drum, but it's happened too many times. You know, I finally pulled myself out of a hole and wrote my first Christmas movie. People were coming to me right, left and center. So like for ideas. And I would pitch out an idea, and I had this one producer, he went, nah, I don't like it. And I says, Jonathan, this is a really good idea. No, no, I don't like it. Well, the old Mark Amato would say, I guess it's no good. So I'd put the flush on it. But I decided this time, let me see if I can find another producer. So I had another producer who was chasing me for ideas. I said, yeah, let me take you to lunch. Took me to lunch. And I, and what I love is it's the elevator pitch. It's this, this long. And I pitched the idea. And I see a little twinkle in his eye, his partner's eye. He says, do you have anything written up on that? I said, probably could do it. So I write it one page. He sends it into the network. We had, we sold it. <laughs> a month later, I get the call from the guy, the Mr. Potter guy who said, Mark, I don't like that idea. He calls me, he says, Mark, what are you doing with that idea? I said, he sold it to another producer. So, well, you'll never get that movie made. I said, why not? He says, I'm the only person who does pageant movies for the network. Okay. Cut to three months later, movie got greenlit and made and became a success. So now I become the guy that, hey, do you remember you passed on that idea? What do you think of this one? So I <laughs> never, never, and, it, and I want to come to a point of arrogance. It's not arrogance. Arrogance is a replacement of, okay, of not having self-confidence. If I think an idea is good, nobody's going to pull me away from it. <laughs> and again, it's not going to happen now. It's going to happen at some point. And that took a long time to, to muster. Because you really, again, it's a business that's founded in security. It takes one person to say no. Where I go in, in history, because uh, I work with James Denton, and I love James Denton dearly. Twice, as a matter of fact, I'm hoping a third time. Um, you know, when he was finally at Desperate Housewives, that was sort of like the, okay, last stop shopping. But Desperate Housewives was originally pitched to Lifetime, which is where it should have been. 
but there were a bunch of executives who said no. Well, guess what happened? Once the show became a huge hit, cleared house. All those executives, I'm sure at this point are saying, welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order? Glenda, <laughs> didn't I pitch that tea show to you? Yes. So it's sort of like it was a, a case in point of then in Hollywood, the hardest words were not to get a pass. The hard, hardest was get any response. So I've had many an idea that has died by apathy. They're not going to say yes. They're not going to say, we're thinking about it. Are you now? Because I'm going to sell it somewhere else. And that's where I come from a point of, if it's a great idea, if you've got a vision, hey, guess what? You don't need the validation of, and where I go at the very least, write it, give it its 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 voice. Then you maybe see where you might've gone astray. But if, if there is a germ of a great idea there, it will see the light of day. Hmm. So the, my takeaway from that is um, if you've got a good idea, put it on the shelf, not in the trash then. Is that kind of the idea? Just hang I out to just, it? Or just write it. Just I mean, I, so many of my writer friends, unemployed writer friends, like to write the word that they're writers at the bottom of their taxes. But are you writing during the year? And what happens is, you know, I've had many of, uh, I've got a really good friend. She was on Big Bang Theory. She says, Mark, do I really have to write a spec again? I says, no, I know. It feels like I've got Gene Kelly. Gene, can you please do a little number here? Well, wait a minute. I'm a dancer. I've done all of I got to dance again. But it basically is. You need to show a new wrinkle, a new side, a new vision that gives me a taste of who you are. And I can't just go by the resume. So, I mean, that's where I say we're long distance runners, but we all have to continue to train and prove ourselves in the ring. And there are many a writer that feels like they want to either rest on their laurels or because they reach a point where, Mark, you know, I've been in the, I'm an old white guy. I love that one. Okay, you're an old white guy. Who's going to hire me? Well, apparently nobody, but okay. No, who's going to hire me are my friends. Well, my, my experience is it's time to make some new friends. <laughs> and okay, if you're an old white guy, I go to Survivor and I think I want to go on Survivor because I love the idea of take your, whatever it is that is, seems to be your liability and turn it into your strength. And there was one season on, uh, on Survivor where there was the old guy, okay, who just basically was sitting in the corner. Just He was everybody's friend. He was somebody sort of like, the, hey, you don't have to worry about him. He's the old guy, okay? He ended up winning. And it just sort of like the, that's the lesson I want to say in life is sort of like, hey, guess what? You know, I had a bicycle accident. Okay, I may, feel, may have felt like I was the elephant man. But the end of the day is, okay, then I started owning whatever that was. I would literally, I remember being, being in, a, in a staff because they didn't, some people would not know what happened. I says, you're staring at the scars, aren't you? No, I'm not. I says, yes, you are. You're staring right at You want to know what happened? And then there would be a story there and I would make a fun of the story of how it all happened and how I'm in the, uh, in the waiting room waiting for Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon. I'm like, is that a good thing? Can we go on Yelp? I just want to make sure. Is this the one we want? <laughs> but it's just sort of like, so now all of a sudden, like I say, when I had the students explaining who they were, well, now all of a sudden I've taken something that could have been a liability. Hey, what happened to Mark? And I brought you into my world and now you're, um, we're all part of the same team. And I really believe that that's a life lesson that will carry you, never mind in this business, anywhere you go. Hmm. I love your energy, man. Like, I'm sure people, I'm sure people will comment it on a, a lot. I told, uh, somebody one time told me, you know, I hate it when people say, I like your vibes. 
said that's just them saying they don't have a personality. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I thought that was an honest. Uh, that was an honest way of looking at things. But I, I've noticed when some people have such big personalities, so much energy, everybody else maybe seems a little bit muted. Is it is it hard for you to find people on your level? Well, it, it's interesting you say that because I used to be like the the consummate. I'm Jerry Seinfeld had a very famous. He loved first dates, and I used to do too. I used to do Match.com. It was sort of like the because I'm going to give you my greatest hits. But I'd have the other person say, this is going really well, isn't it? Well, if you got to ask, you probably are wrong. Okay, <laughs> I can find anybody interesting, but here's the thing, and it's, you bring up a good point, which is you don't have to compete with my energy. But what happens is I think sometimes people may find it a bit intimidating. Mm. And I go back to my, because I was that guy. I was the introverted extrovert, okay? Until you brought me out of my shell, I'd be quiet. I'm not going to give you any of me. Why? Because you may not like me, mm. okay? And I think we all have this this deep desire to be liked, to be accepted. It goes back to when we were children with our parents, okay? And I'll see that I had one student in, um, you know, like I, like I want to choke up because I sewed the one with the alcoholic parents and she was a people pleaser. And I know what mm. is not that I had alcoholic parents, but I know what it is to be a people pleaser. I had to take her aside because she'd finally sort of gotten her sea legs with me and she was coming out of her shell because she was no longer muting her ideas, but her ideas were coming out half measure. I says, you have to understand. I says, you're still worried about, am I going to like your idea? I says, so you're holding back. I says, this is this is going to be a lifelong lesson. I says, you only got me here for a weekend. Okay, folks, good night. But I want you to do a deep dive search into just what that is. I says, because there is somebody there that's got a voice, but right now she's just whispering half ideas. I said, so that's what you want to be able to become, become a full version of yourself. Like I said, I mean, if I was not a writer, I'd be a therapist, but I'd probably be a therapist that'd say, wait a second, isn't it my turn to talk? But that's <laughs> like, bring your, bring your greatest, whatever it is. And I think with a lot of people is they feel maybe they don't have that. And that's where I go to the, oh, well then tell me something about yourself. Um, a friend of mine um, in New Jersey, oddly enough, okay. Uh, she she met somebody through Ancestry.com who was helping her out with something about her family. And she was so taken by this person, said, oh, you know, I really want to pay you back. What can I possibly do? She says, when my son wants to be in the business, is there any way you can? She says, Mark, would you do me a favor and set up a Zoom? And I just did this, Greg. This was uh, last week. Hmm. So I sat down with it, just like we're doing. And it's just interesting, he wants to be in, in editing. And he's just being very, like I call it, general in terms of what he wants to do. I said, okay. I said, well, do you want to do um, film? Do you see yourself as a cinematographer? Do you want to do reality? And he's just sort of like, again, fresh off the boat, okay? But when he started talking specifically in terms of what he was able to do, all of a sudden I was I saw him come alive. And the reason why he's living in Cooperstown, uh, Oregon, with his brother, <laughs> his brother's in the other room, he's an anthropologist. And I says, oh, okay, that's interesting. What does he want to do? And he starts being very, very specific. Apparently there's a dinosaur that has been sort of like relegated to not being a dinosaur, but he's trying to prove that it is. So he's coming with all of these things. And I'm saying, okay, boom. He says, his name is Chase. What a great name. I says, Chase, do you see what you just did? I says, you came something so, so, so. I says, started out general. Now it's specific. I says, but I want to meet your brother. Brother was yelling in the other room. Hey, I'm no, no, no. Okay, because <laughs> now... I've got a face on who you are. I says, you started this Zoom with me. Well, you did this, you did this, you did this. I wanted to, I don't know, I don't know. I said, be specific. I said, I need to know who you are. 
I said, because then you bring us into your world. And again, I go back to my original, which is sort of like, we have been taught not to show that specificity. Don't because someone may judge. Well, they kind of like, I don't know, it's a pathology. Okay. Oh, people think that's kind of freaky. No, tell me, what is it about pathology that you find so interesting? Okay. Well, you that you're able to unlock the key. Da, 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 da. Well, now I'm finding something about you that is so specific that I can't put to anybody else that, hey, guess what? Now you found what you need to run with. Opposed to, again, cloud it with generality. Generality does nothing. Yeah, I don't, even on a date, I like I'd rather say, give me your worst date uh, 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 um, stories. Because like, why am I going to be telling you the bad date stories on a first date? Well, because guess what? At least we've got somewhere to build. And what <laughs> happens is, you know, you'll tell me a story. I'll tell you a story. All of a sudden we're laughing. Guess what I feel with laughter? Laughter is the, the uh, is next to uh, making love is the very closest thing to intimacy. It means we're on the same level. Okay. <laughs> we both share an experience that we can now laugh at together. Okay. And the moment we have that moment is why I even say uh, on dates, it's sort of like, boom, I know we've got it. We, I, if I saw that connection, you felt that connection in me. Guess what we want to do? We want to feed that endorphin. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Opposed to again, and go to the place of being that mealy mouth. You don't want to be one or the other because you don't want to say the wrong thing or you don't want to show too much of who you are because somebody may think you're odd. All right. I'm an oddball. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I, I'm about as weird as they come, Mark. So I, I'm very much in that camp, you know, and you're talking about be specific. That's something I've kind of learned through doing this podcast and talking to so many people is that if you really show people who you are, which is dangerous, right? It's, it's, it's a scary thing, but it's almost like shining a light and it allows those, those like-minded individuals to find you, right? It gives them something to follow. And so it's like, if you're looking for your tribe, how are you going to find that if you're not really like advertising who you are in different ways. And, you know, yeah. I've talked to people who uh, will present that in their personality. Some will present it in their clothing, right? Or, you know what I mean? It's like, how do I advertise to other people? This is who I am. Please find me. You know, it's, you, you come up with these uh, different methods. But something that really I was curious about is, it sounds like you've really found your authentic self, like who you are and you are just Mark probably 95% of the time, right? So at what point, did you, it sounds like it was kind of a slow progression towards there, but like how old were you, do you think, when you really just became you all the time? 50. 50. So not that long ago then. Not that long ago, no, no. And it was really like at a, at a point where I came out of the fire and out of the ashes so many times. And here was the last time I was, when I told you I was on Baby Daddy, and, you know, I lost everything in my divorce, had to rebuild. And it's just sort of like, a, am I ever going to own the house again? So I, it was uh, 2012 and I bought a house and I'm on a show that's a hit that was run by somebody who was, again, not the person I want to be around, was a former friend, but just sort of like the, I'm not coming back. So it was like, wow. All right. Well, then now what? And I was at one of the, like, the last place of like, I don't want to live in now what anymore. I can't lose this house again. I can't. So I had a Christmas idea because I had a movie at uh, Freeform, Revenge of the Bridesmaid, before all the brides' pictures. And they says, Mark, can you come to us with a, a Christmas movie that's not done around the table? I'm like, yeah. So I came up with an idea that I knew was a rock solid idea. And even the junior executives were like, wow, that was the best pitch I ever heard. Died by apathy. And this is four years ago. 
So um, I figure, okay, well, now what do I do? And I'm, you know, teaching, I'm trying to put together the pieces just like trying to keep the mortgage going. You know, they try to keep the house of cards. Um, and I pitched this idea to a former friend of mine that went back to my first show at Fox, Paulie Shore, lasted three and a half episodes. They cut it off after the half episode. It was that bad. But it's like, okay, well, what do I do? She says, Mark, that's a really great idea. Why don't you pitch it to this one producer? I pitched it to the one that ended up passing at the second one. He says, Mark, if you write that, I'll get it made. So I took it to the bank, meaning I have to work for free again at 50. So I decided, okay, 100 pages divided by 30 days is about four pages a day. I did it. Turned it in like a blackjack dealer. If anybody who hasn't seen a blackjack dealer, when they change them, they go like this. Okay. In other words, <laughs> check my hands. There's nothing here. It's time for me to leave. And it was like, that meant you were not getting anything else. Okay. Three months later, as a director, as a star, the movie is greenlit and I'm mm. ready to go. And at this point was sort of like the, now I'm working hand over fist. They're constantly coming to me with new product, like movies that have to be turned around in two weeks. I'm turning them around, but I'm working like a, like, like a Tasmanian devil taking anything possible because it was like a dog that had not, never been fed. And that's when I started reaching a point where I was pitching out ideas that either I was getting success or I was getting the crickets. And I was saying, okay, I love the cricket idea. So um, if it's not going to go with you, it'll go somewhere else. And then it really became this, I want to say this graduation of self-confidence um, where it was like, no, I didn't need the validation anymore. And I wasn't worried about losing the house. The house was going to be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And now it's at a place where I really, I could probably be working more if I just wanted to like, again, be the pretty girl in the corner say, yeah, I'll dance with you. But it's like, no, wait a second. I want to do this. I want to do that. So now I find myself at a place where, you know, when you say no in this business, no, I want to They're like, wait a minute. What do you mean? No. It's like, well, no, I want to do this. So now I feel like that has given me even more muscles to, 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 and it's not from a point of arrogance. It's a point of, Hey, if I could make more, that would be, is that making me any more happy? No. But if I got that one, that sort of like, you know, I've had these two movies on CBS uh, the, the the last two years that were like, the the network executive was like, Mark, go for it. In other words, you know, they, they I had one producer say, Mark, they call them romantic com comedies, but they're not really funny. I says, until, well, this CBS executive was like, Mark, put the pedal in the metal. So I've got jokes in there that I would never be able to, I've got bits in there that, you know, for me are a callback to like the, the romantic comedies of the nineties and two thousands, you know, where, Hey, I could see Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. I could see Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. That's my level of, so it's sort of like, I'm constantly raising my own bar. And for me, that's what sort of like feeds, feeds that creative beast inside me that says, Hey, guess what? I want more. That's so awesome. That's so, you know, it, it's something you mentioned, like super resonated with me. The idea of like, oh, I don't have to worry about losing the house anymore or, you know, how am I going to make my car payment? Am I going to be able to make the groceries? It's so funny. Like the further I get away from those worries, the more confident I become as a person or. And I would say confident and happy. Oh, All yeah. of a sudden there's that sense of, I can't tell you my, you know, like my friend who was on Big Bang, they were golden handcuffs. It was like, boy, I wish I was on a show like that. Mark, be careful because now I can't get out of here. Yeah. And that's just sort of like the, well, again, go to the place of never mind self-confidence, but happiness. Okay. Do I want to be the guy that spent 20 years, you know, slaving on all of these shows? Okay. Only to, 
yeah, um, but you don't know the other side of it. Okay, careful what you wish for. I don't want to live careful what I wish for. Mm. So, and that takes a lot. In other words, yeah, you may have to deal with less, in other words, in terms of the income maybe, but that sense of satisfaction, and that's where we you constantly have to kind of figure out what the what the measure is, okay? You can have this much success, but at what price? Or, okay, and where I go, and again, maybe this is me being philosophical again, but you know, they've done a study that after the first, I want to say $80,000 a year you make, okay? If you made 160 or 320, you're not twice and three times as happy as when you were able to cover your bills. Well, once you're able to cover your bills and you have that sense of, okay, relief, okay, everything else beyond that is gravy. Well, for me is I don't need three buckets of gravy. It's like, okay, <laughs> how much do I need to make this meal? We're going back full circle, a tasty dish. And to me, it's sort of like the, well, then there's going to come, come some compromises where, okay, I don't necessarily need to do this anymore. And, you know, some of it, Greg, is definitely age. Where it's sort of like you reach a certain point where, yeah, I know there's only so many marbles in this jar that I know I'm not going to live to 150. So what do I really need? And what I really need is, hey, guess what? To feed the soul. So, you know, I teach once a week, you know, um, do I need to know? Okay. Do I enjoy doing it? Does it feed my soul? Yes, it does. So that day a week is worth it because it's sort of like I find myself teaching, you know, my students things that I'm having to learn. Okay. Perfect example is when we get off this Zoom, I'm going to a Christmas movie that I'm rewriting and I'm doing a little bit of the sit and stare. It's not working when it's just not, oh, well, let me go to Scrabulous. Let me go to Facebook. Let me go. No, no, no. I need to figure this out. So I tell my students is when it's not happening, write some questions down, write a few things down, crazy thoughts. Now turn the computer off and go do something you enjoy. I like to rollerblade at the beach and I'll go rollerblade the same stretch at Santa Monica since I've done in college. And it's strange. It's sort of like the writer's room inside my head. All of a sudden, hey, Mark, what about this? I'll come back to the computer and I have it figured out. Well, now the next two hours is I'm writing it. I need like a like a bucket of ice to put my hands in. Okay, because it's just sort of like kind of free flowing opposed to the, is it neither or nor? Hmm. No, you can't be that writer. You know, it's not Emily Dickinson sitting in, you know, in her bedroom kind of pondering what her next thought is. You need to sort of like approach it with sort of like that degree of passion. Well, the, the computer is a constant reminder that, Mark, you're a fraud. Every time the words aren't coming, Mark, you're a fraud. No, you fooled everybody up till now. They finally figured it out. No. So I'll go to the place of, and this was an idea that I've been wrestling a little bit because, um, you know, you as a writer, you come up with what your vision is, but you're dealing with a, either a network or a set of producers that have their vision. So I have to accommodate. And there's sometimes where I'll even say to them, I says, guys, I says, okay, I'm your interior decorator. I said this to one the other day. I says, you're telling me to paint the kitchen bubblegum paint. Now I know that's a bad idea. You're going to walk in here and say, wow, this is a little too bright for me, but you can't come to me. I'm just a house painter now. So if you tell me bubblegum punk, maybe you're thinking about Barbie the movie. Oh, oh, now we've got it. But there comes a point where me as a, you know, as a creative, and I am the writer, I say sometimes, hey guys, I'm just the writer, which you guess what? That means I'm the cook. So if the cook is saying, <laughs> I don't think this is a good idea, listen to the cook, but guess what? You are paying the cook. So if you want me to cook French fries and 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 
I don't know, cereal and mix it together. Okay, let's try it. Let's see what it tastes like. Um, and then when you say it doesn't taste good, I know you're not going to own that. You're not going to own that. You No, Mark, you didn't do the best version of cornflakes and French fries. So I have to find a way to make that work. That's my job. Hmm. You've, you've hinted at it a whole bunch of times already. Um, but you, I mean, and this is ultimately how I found you. I was looking for uh, writers who did Hallmark movies. My wife and I have started this crazy thing where we're, we're watching Hallmark movies and um, having fun doing it. Uh, I mean, to be perfectly honest, we are laughing at them most of the time because they are very uh, formulaic and, uh, you know, they, they definitely follow a pattern and uh, it's fun to kind of insert your own dialogue occasionally. But do you feel like... Um, you feel like that's your happy place being that? Because I mean, you are very prolific too. I see like sometimes you're putting out like two movies a year when that genre, that flavor, does that, uh, does that feel weird? You became the uh, the Christmas movie guy? Christmas guy, yeah. I had one year where I had two original and three rewrites. It was sort of like five movies. It was insane. And I want to say with CBS, because again, you're talking to me. They're like, you want something? We got to get marked with the press circuit. They got to took, wait a minute, you want the writer to talk to the press? Yeah, we do. <laughs> so and it's funny. So one year I did it. The next year they want me to do it again. They said, but Mark, should we send you a um, hair and makeup? Because in case you see my hair's a little, I said, don't worry. I said, I'll figure it out for the for, for uh, the press session press session tomorrow. So here I am with the actors. And you look at everybody, all, all the pretty people. And I don't call them pretty people because they're talented too. Okay. And they're asking me questions. And I was, why are you talking to me? I'm just the writer. But they wanted, they wanted the answer to the question, which is sort of like the, how do you come up with these ideas again and again, which is sort of like you find a new wrinkle. And I says, here's the thing. I says, you had a movie at uh, Hallmark called A Royal Matchmaker. As we take a look at the poster, yeah, there's the matchmaker. She's dressed in a beautiful red dress. And there's the prince. I says, so guess what? Spoiler alert. They're going to fall in love. Okay, yeah, you know that. All right, you know the book. But wait, why are you watching this movie? Why are you find, finding it interesting? Because you don't know how. Okay? And then what I will have is I'll have that last act break. And it takes a lot, Greg, because it's sort of like I have to figure out like a puzzle. How am I going to put these characters at complete odds at the end of act eight so that you have no idea how possibly they're going to come back together? Well, the network makes it very, very clear to me. Okay, we're hitting a hammer on my hand as I'm writing. Guess what, Mark? This is the act where people will tune out. If they see the ending coming, they don't want to come back, and then we lose all those advertisers at the end. Okay, so I put the these two characters at odds that there's just absolutely no way you could see them coming back together. Why? Because I sprinkled a couple of crumbs in the beginning that now are going to come full circle at the end where all of a sudden now it's a souffle. And then when you have that final moment, she shows up at the Royal Gala and there she is in the dress and he's there. We know, okay, yeah, I get chills because it's like, yes, that's what we want. We want to please, Mark. We tuck me in. I want to be tucked in. I want to feel chilling. <laughs> okay. Just don't make me feel like a schmuck at the end. So that to me becomes the art behind, okay, it's just a Hallmark movie or it's just a Christmas movie. That's the art of like, wow. Uh, you you created a satisfying ending here that I didn't see coming. And for me, that's the goal in each one of my movies is to find a way that, hey, guess what? You know what? I don't want to say it's a cut above because I've, I've seen, I've been part of ones that just seem to be good enough. And good enough is not from the school that I was raised. 
So it's like I'm constantly trying to find a way to push myself. And I will even have something to say, hey, Mark, don't push yourself so hard. It's okay. And it's like, I don't want it to be pablum. I don't want it to be predictable. So those become, I don't want to say my manacles, that becomes my challenge. Mm. And that's why, you know, as you could hear in me, like every time it's sort of like the, uh, uh, another, James Denton, perfect example, did a movie with him that's not a Christmas movie. And I says, Jamie, come on, we got to do a Christmas movie. He says, Mark, they've all been done. I'd say until, and I come up with an idea and he's like, oh, wow. Like, how did I come up with that? So it's always finding a new wrinkle to an old chestnut that, hey, guess what? Now we've got something completely new that, you know, again, you can be passionate about, I can be passionate about. Yeah, for sure. And I love rom-coms. That's one of my favorite. I mean, I, I love comedies in general, but rom-coms, um, I think are particular, because I, I was like questioning myself. I was like, why, why, why is it about that specific that I like so much? Or maybe it was my wife asking me. And I came up with, I, I just love to laugh. I mean, that, that's one, that's, that's right. step one. I, I love to be entertained in that way. But two is, in a rom-com, you know it's going to turn out good. Right. It's like no matter what adversity they have to go through, you know, in the end, like you said, you're yes. going to get tucked into bed. And I, I kind of I think I kind of uh, like that piece about it. I mean, it's 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 interesting. You should, I mean, because if I talk about like my favorite comedies of all time, you know, one of them for all intents and purposes is a romantic comedy. I, you look at that as my template, which is planes, trains, automobiles. OK, it's completely heterosexual, but for all intents and purposes, it's a love story about these two men, okay? Here he is on the uh, Steve Martin, all mm -hmm. about business, trying to get home for the holidays, get away from this madness. And here's this other guy, which will realize he's got no place to go. And it took the course of this movie for Steve Martin to realize, oh, this wife that he's been talking about, she's gone. And it's sort of like, here he's going back to his family. Um, we couldn't wait to, and because of adversity and this guy he's been saddled with, he's actually made that dream come true, come back home to, with me. And when they walk through that door, I mean, I tear up and mm -hmm. so like, here, honey, I want you to meet Dell. I remember his name, Dell. Okay. And he's part of the family now. So, and you know, that's very much like a guy's movie by because, you know, you can do all the craziness and that's what I love about rom romantic comedies. You can do you know, balls to the wall crazy, but if you just ground it in something real, you know, you got, I mean, I, I just did a, uh, I, I talked about um, uh, Naked Gun, okay? The original Naked Gun, okay? A movie that was based upon a series from the Zucker Brothers that was, let's just lampoon all the old cop shows. <laughs> and they did such a wonderful job, okay? But what they lacked is something that they stumbled upon in Airplane, which was, it was the love story that kept Airplane afloat. Well, then when they do Naked Gun, and it was completely absurd, okay? This love story between uh, Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley, like the perfect casting. Why Priscilla Presley? But because that love story is what kept all those gags alive. That's what made us feel good in the end. And at the end of the day, you just said it. We want to feel good. And I think that's why I'm living at the golden age right now of what I do is with everything that's happening in the world, Please, can you give me a two-hour break? Just a two-hour break and have somebody say, hey, Mark, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I think that's what these movies do. They give us that little bit of mental break to say, yeah, it's going to be okay. And wouldn't it be nice if life worked out that way? Mm. And uh, the positivity kind of goes through it, right? It's always it's always woven through. Uh, it feels like there's always somebody who's 
you know, they they want to be a naysayer. I mean, all right. So the it feels like the hallmark formula is uh, one person doesn't like Christmas, the other loves it, and uh, they also have some conflict where they couldn't possibly be getting together, and then you know through the course of it they end up together, and oh, the other person decides they, that they they love right. Christmas. Uh, right. <laughs> Which I feel like it, it's it's been done so many times. Let's find a new way to do it. Like I, the one that I ended up selling to Hallmark, which was um, the one producer said, no, he says, Mark, come up with a new way to do a Christmas carol. And I'm thinking that old chestnut's been done right, left and center. It's done Bill Murray. They did a female version. And at the time I was doing hot yoga, I'm sitting there in hot yoga and I'm going, Christmas carol, Christmas carol. Wait a minute. What if it has absolutely nothing to do with Dickens classic? I says, this woman's name is Carol. I says, she's a single mom in town that goes hog wild at Christmas. So when the school comes, you know, comes December, she's, she's got the decorating committee. She directs the school play. She's just, they call a Christmas Carol because she goes crazy for the holiday. Lo and behold, a single dad moves into town. Okay. And he wants to take part of the talent show. So the two of them butt heads, okay, because of what her vision is and what his vision is, and somehow they come together, okay? That's the elevator pitch, and that's where I got to know. And I was sort of like, no, no, I'm telling you. I said, his name is Terry. They're going to start calling him Terry Christmas, and she's Christmas Carol, and they're battling the holidays. Well, it was that pitch that ended up selling, and it was like, but the, but the network was very, very, you know, like, okay, careful, Mark, because I, I, I made it akin to War of the Roses, we can't have characters yelling at one another. Right? <laughs> I said, I understand that. I says it's not going to be like that. I said, but we have to have characters that come from two opposite sides of the fence, and it's up to me to find the mid 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 ground that will, at least for the audience, understand that. Oh, she's got her her emotional issues. He's got his emotional issues, and somehow this is how they come together, completely unexpectedly. Yeah, that becomes the soul of the movie. The same way where I went through my uh, pathology, pathological exam of planes, trains, automobiles. Here are two people that could not be more dissimilar that find a common ground. Why? Because he can't wait to get back here home to his wife and children. He doesn't have any place to go. Hmm. You know, it's interesting too. The the listening to you talk about other stuff, you're talking about people's internal motivations, kind of the way they think. And you sort of, what did you say that if you weren't a writer, you'd be a, a psychologist? Why have, you, why have you, why have you put so much time into kind of studying all of that, learning all of that? Uh, is, is it purely for writing or like, where does, where does that interest come in? It came from me just sort of like the, you're repeating the same mistake again and again, just sort of like the, okay, Mark, you got to start figuring out this. So I spent plenty of time in a chair, okay. You know, with, in therapy, to figure that stuff out. And then, you know, I was just dealing with, you know, say the narcissistic personality disorder. We're sort of like, wow, let me do some deep dive on this. And then you realize if you do any, if you scratch the surface, I almost call them human imposters. They seem like us, they act like us, but the reality is they are so completely the opposite of us. And I want to believe, again, when I write these movies, that people can be redeemed, okay? Some of us can, some of us can't. A perfect example would be Dabney Coleman in 9 to 5. Guess what? What I love about the movie, he gets his comeuppance. He doesn't come around and say, hey, I'm a misogynist, no good son of a gun, okay? Um, and I've learned the, the better of my ways. We don't live in that world. 
Nah. You know, I had one character in a movie at Hallmark that was that character, okay, not the, the misogyny, but was trying to steal somebody's idea to take it for her own uh, for this magazine. And in the end, the character ends up saving her job. And at the end, she says, you know, I would have hoped I would have done the same thing for you. And it's sort of like the, I wrote it, I try to make it real, but I don't believe it. People, people who are inherently selfish, I don't want to say evil, but are inherently selfish that are willing to put your, put your neck on the line, okay, are now willing to say, wow, I have the self-awareness to realize I did that, Greg, and boy, am I sorry. <laughs> no, but sometimes in a world that I want to believe those people exist are. So the reason why I did was sort of like, I got to, I have to take a look at this, not only for self-preservation, but I'm dealing with these personality disorders with people I work with. Okay. So, I mean, there was an example, and again, maybe we'll use your name. Why not? My second job at a coming out of the fire. Okay. was with Mariah Carey. Okay. Mariah Carey was writing and directing this Christmas movie that I was hired to, to, to help fix. And, um, there was a scene in it. Now, the th thing is when these movies, as you realize, you only have a certain amount of days. There was a scene involving a minor child. Okay. When you have children, you only have them for half a day. So I have a line producer barking at me saying, Mark, you need to get rid of this scene. Well, this was a scene that Mariah happened to really, really love. I don't know why. So I'm on the phone with her and I try to explain to her. I says, this is why we have to lose the scene. This is what Mariah heard. <laughs> done with my little spiel. No, I want the scene in. I said, okay, well, the scene stays in. I mean, who am I going to say, right? So I get in a producer who calls me and says, Mark, the whole executive producer, why are you telling Mariah that she could have that scene? We can't have that scene. Because now the line producer is barking at him. And I said, listen, I told her that scene's in today. I said, but I'm also writing another scene for her character. I said, so come in two or three days. I'm going to say, okay, Mariah, do we want this scene with a kid or do we want this scene with you? You choose. Which one do you want? I said, it's going to be the shell game. He looks at me and says, brilliant. So sure enough, and again, I'm hanging my own head to, to, to be axed or dry here. <laughs> but come the time was sort of like the, okay, you could do one or either. Okay, so I want this scene. All right. So we lost the scene with the kid. We got to the same place. But why? Because I'm trying, she was not going to hear me with any any degree of logic because again, you're not part of that personality. Logic means nothing. This is what I want. Well, we can't have it. Don't tell me I can't have it because now I'm going to want it all the more. Hmm. All right, you can have it. Okay, well now the, 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 the nerves are relaxed, but here's the little addendum. You can't have everything. So which one do you want to choose? Well, I would rather have this because I, again, I'm not saying even for, from an ego standpoint, the scene that I wrote was a really, really fun scene. Even if she wasn't in it, I'd want to shoot that. So that's what became sort of like the, all right, we're going to lose. So that becomes, I was saying 90% of my job was at 90%, but at the time was 90%. 90% was ho hopefully deliver the script. But if I didn't have the ability to pivot, and that's where I go like, you have to know personality types. You have to know how to work within the 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 because I describe these as sort of like summer camp. Here are the people I'm I'll have to deal with for for three weeks. I'll probably never see most of them again, but I have to find a way to circumnavigate. And you know, at the end of the day, I want to make everybody happy. But and I, I mean, I even said to the line producer, "Calm." She only worked with me for the first time. I says, "Trust me, I know what your job is. 
I said, I promise I will have your back, but you got to give me a little leeway. Now, she didn't know me well enough to trust me, so she went over my head. But then again, I know the, the, the parameters because it's taken me a lifetime to get here to say, hey, guess what? I don't want to be sent off to Exile Island because if this didn't work, okay, I don't want to say I never work again, but at the moment, it would feel like I'm never going to work again. Mm. So no, I'm going to figure this one out. Each job, I want to call this Vietnam. Either it's going to be great or it's not, but at the end of the day, I walk away with the soldiers that I know I've got your back, you know I've got your back. And that ends up defining you know my next 19 jobs. Mm. So now, I want to say one thing, like I say, do your deep dive on, on personality disorders, because guess what? It will give you a leg up when it comes to encountering people who can sometimes be prickly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, more strategies, right? Like strategies of of working with this type right. or that type kind of thing. Yeah, and that and that talks about all fields, all fields. I mean, it's interesting. I'm married to a Filipino, married to a woman, two kids, get a divorce, come out of the closet. I mean, again, we're talking about all these lifelong things. So my uh, <laughs> husband worked with a physical therapist. This is the beginning of COVID. And he and all the other Filipinos are getting all the COVID cases. Okay. And it's just sort of like the why, because some of the other uh, physical therapists are sort of like, well, we can get away with this. All right. Well, in the Filipino culture, it's they're they're very passive aggressive. So here they're dealing with this is a this is something that's wrong, okay? And we're taking a walk in the neighborhood to clear our heads after after work because you can't do anything with COVID. And he says, "You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm calling in sick." I says, "Wow, you really told them." And he, goes, <laughs> he says, "Well, well, what?" I says, "Well, maybe we take a look at this and say, hey, there's some inequity." I says, "Why don't you go to your supervisor and say, hey, take a look at the schedule here? It seems to me." that all the Filipinos are getting sort of like the COVID cases, we're being put into a compromised position where it doesn't seem fair. I said, well, now it's up to your supervisor to say, hmm, let me take a look at this. All right. Well, all the other Filipinos were like, no, Erwin, you can't do this. Well, he got in there and he did. And hmm. you want something? He he made a change for the good. Yeah, there were a certain cadre of physical therapists that were trying to take advantage of the Filipino ther therapists because they could, because they were never going to voice their concerns. Well, once they were voiced, hey, guess what? You can't go back again. So now I want to say I unleash the monster because even in our relationship where it's sort of like the, you know, if he wants to speak up for himself against something that I'm saying is, I'd rather give you that than don't be passive aggressive with me. If there's something, if there's an issue, please, I might be, be the first one to say I'm wrong. But the idea of, okay, like I said, it's taken me a lifetime to get to that place because I've been in fear-based management where you're on staff where if I say anything, I'm going to get fired. Mm. Well, if I don't say anything, I'm going to be in a job I'm miserable at. Which, pick your poison, Mark. Which do you want to be? Well, I'd rather speak my piece in a way that it's not going to get me fired. There you go. Why don't we try that? Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that myself is that you can, you can say the same thing in several different ways and it's going to be taken... You know, the, the right. connotation will be accepted in different ways. So you just got to find uh, find that right way of saying it. And talking about passive aggressive, like that was uh, that was my main form of I'm uncomfortable communication for most of my life. And it got me nowhere. Like just learning to openly and honestly just talk about, hey, this is how something makes me feel as opposed to, I don't know, trying to expect this person to see me being extra quiet or sassy to understand, you know, the transgression that they've committed. It's so ridiculous. So well, it, it actually took my wife to push me out of that. And 
it sounds like you are doing the Lord's work over here, pushing your partner out of it as well. Well, that, and I want to say, you just said the, the two magic words that I always say sort of like that, you can never be wrong. I feel. And I taught my partner that, I taught my kids that. So like, if they're angry, they're frustrated, whatever, the, the moment they say, I feel really angry that you do this, I validate. Yeah, that must make you feel really alone. All of a sudden, that anger level, wait a minute, I didn't expect that. Yeah, it does. And it must make you feel like you have no place to uh, go to and there's no way you can explain. No, I can't. I said, that's going to make you feel really lonely. I bet you would want to tell me how you, yeah, I do. All of a sudden you start noticing a difference in that person's uh, being is now all of a sudden they're not being combated. Okay. They're being validated. Hmm. And here's where I go like, I don't care what argument you get into your wife. The moment you're able to validate what those feelings are is when you're going to be right here at the same level. And now she can't be pissed off at you. I would even say something. Why are you still yelling? I'm telling you, I agree with you. Now, oh, oh, and I mean the same thing with dealing with a network executive. I, I had one where it was sort of like that. They were giving me a really, really bad no, bad. Boy, this is a bad no. And I was, for the first time in my life, I said, I'm going to tell you, this is a bad no. I said, but I'm the <laughs> it's my job to take a bad note. I said, so do me a favor, explain me the note behind the note. And they were like, what? I said, this is bothering you for some reason. I said, I don't know why. I said, you've given me a fix that I don't understand. Give me the note behind the note. And they didn't. It was like the, oh, now I get it. And now I was able to give them a solution that I didn't feel it was compromising. I was being told to paint the room bubblegum pink. Oh, you would like me to do this. Yes. Well, now everybody's happy. The product's better. And there's no animosity. There's no, boy, that Mark Amato, he doesn't take a note. No. So again, you, in, in, in a real roundabout way, this is the key to success. Take a little bit of a little bit of talent and a lot of this, and you'll go far. By the same token, you can be super, super talented, and there are plenty that don't seem to have that ability to work well with others and get sort of like banished into the world of they're difficult. And there are many people who, you know, can learn from exactly this. So like there's a way to find a compromise. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I all amazing. Great points. But just hearing somebody say it, like, doesn't necessarily make it enter my brain and I'm able to use it. I, like, for me, I've, I've learned that I have to get reps, right? I, it's like go to the gym, like working out any muscle. I have yeah. to get practice at that stuff. And it's like, how do you how do you find a place to practice that in like a safe environment where you're not like literally in the moment? Like all of my practice has been literally in the moment trying to do this stuff. And uh, it doesn't always go the way I want. Well, it's, it's, it's as long as alcohol is not part of the mix, I, <laughs> I go to a place where it's a, it's a template. So like, if I say this, what do I have to hope to gain? If I do this and you just kind of follow that and if it all goes to this is going nowhere, well, then I stop and say, okay, well, wait a minute. Let me find a way to at least find an, an avenue for this flow chart that I don't know where the, the, the ending may be, but not the same one. And what happens is we're creatures of habit. There are buttons that will be pushed in you and your, again, your significant other knows those buttons. So once you kind of realize that, then where I go is you're pressing my buttons for a reason. It's not about this. It's about something else. And more than likely, I say 90% of conflict happens. For, there's a financial stress or there's, I have a problem with your in-laws or whatever. There's something else that's out there that I don't feel comfortable that I can say. Why? Because, well, then you're going to come down my throat. Well, if I go to those magic two words, I feel I can't contradict you. I can't. Yeah. 
I feel like your parents are always picking on me. That's not true. You don't try hard enough. Hey, why are you telling me what I, can you tell me I don't feel that way? You really can. Oh, so I guess I'm feeling something I shouldn't be feeling. All right. Well, and continue to tell me how I'm supposed to feel. Well, you should love them. Well, give me a reason why I should. You know, you're getting into an <laughs> argument. It's not going to have an ending. No, here's the bottom line. So here's where I go. Like I have issues with my in-laws. It's sort of like, the, well, this is what I need to do to stay within this circle. Okay. Where I can be cordial, but I can't, I won't put myself in a situation where I feel compromised. If I feel compromised, you're not going to feel comfortable, right? And you want to feel comfortable around your own family. So why don't I remove myself from that equation or kind of keep myself at small in small doses? Hey, guess what? We figured out a solution to our, our problem here, opposed to banging our head, repeat the same thing again and again. And, you know, I've done that too many times in too many relationships where it's sort of like the, you know, you compromise yourself to a place where there's nothing left. Okay. And I don't believe we're having these philosophical conversations out of this, but it's true. And, you know, creatively the same way. We're just sort of like that. Did we really have to go to this place or was there another way to peel the onion? And I'm constantly finding a better way. Yeah. You know, I, I resemble that remark way more than you could probably understand. Like the idea of compromising yourself, like, cause I've done that before. I've, I've, squash parts of me or contain parts of me to make the others around me happy. And it just, it keeps going and I get smaller and smaller um, until there's, you know, just not a whole lot left of me. And I, I've eventually learned to, to slowly kind of grow out of that. And I've noticed the more I do that, the more friction it causes for other people, right? Because I've, I've always been this person over here. I've always reacted in this way. And, and they're, you know, sometimes I've noticed their, their reaction is, oh, well, you don't do this thing anymore. And it's like, well, I always felt this way inside. I was just squishing myself so that I didn't make other people uncomfortable. And, and for well, somebody which, who's 6'3", you know, squishing myself is not something I'm accustomed to. Right? Yeah, Trying to make myself not seem big and intimidating is like something I've done most of my life. And Well, what's fascinating, and I mean, you're going to take a look at this as you play this back, is you start talking about that, you have to see how you physically transform, okay? Literally, your personality transforms into something that you don't want it to be. But you're, I'm watching it because it's sort of like that you're telling me as you're experiencing those feelings, they're all coming back into the forefront. And then you're watching yourself physically become that. And then I look at it sort of like that, Greg, that's not who you want to be, right? You don't want to be that guy. Yeah. How did you let that happen? Something happened. There was one left turn, one right turn. And it was basically, I want to say, you're normal because it's, Pattern, re repeat the pattern at the same time, always brings you back to that place. Where I go is, I don't want you to be at that place. I don't think your significant other or anybody you work with wants to have that. I want to have, I want to see your greatest hits. So what do we have to do to what left turn or right turn or how do I need to grow to say, oh, that's what I've been doing to Greg. I don't want to do that anymore. And I would yeah. think, unless you're married to, you know, Adolf Hitler in a dress, she don't want it either, <laughs> right? So it's just sort of like the more than likely, and I, I see this all the time, that's why I say I'd probably be a great therapist, is something else is going on. Something else is going on to put you in that place where you're a small person, okay? Some insecurity, some resentment, something that's sort of like that. A left turn was made where, no, you don't want to do that, but that's been normal. And it's just sort of like the, okay, just because it's normal, it's not good. And, you know, full circle, the reason why I delve deep into personality disorders is I literally went from a borderline to a narcissist. I said, and they're part of the same cluster B personality type. 
It's like, okay, Mark, what do you need next? A sociopath? In other words, <laughs> you're repeating the same pattern because clearly it's normal for a reason that you don't know. And what it was is sort of like that I dug deep to say, oh, this goes back to being a child, being you know a father with conditional love. And oh, I'm chasing this tail that's never going to be caught again. Well, now what do I need to do? Well, first of all, recognize that. And then now making the 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 the, the slight changes that are going to be, again, for me, it's the red flags. When I see red flags, it's like, okay, before I would convince myself, no, no, that's not who they really are. Now it's like, mm -hmm. no, no, they just told me they who, who they are and I need to avoid this or find mm -hmm. a way to hold up boundaries. And again, with boundaries and narcissists are sort of like, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, because it's a boundary. I want to cross it. So you have <laughs> to be very, very um, uh, vigilant in sort of like, maintaining that. And what I discovered, Greg, is it's tough to begin with. And then all of a sudden becomes, oh, okay. Because they're going to, people are going to take you, take you by surprise. Like, I can't believe Greg just said that. Well, Greg's maintaining that and it's not going to go back. Well, then now what? Now it's up to them to accommodate. And either they will shift their behavior or guess what? They're not part of the circle anymore. I went through a point in my life just before 50 where I started weeding out people in my life that were not positive. And I said, okay, there may be only two or three people on my on my repeated phone call list, but that means there's a vacancy sign on for better people. And then the strange thing is when you leave the vacancy sign on and you're able to sort of like vet the candidates that are coming in, you're surrounded by better people. And what happens is they lift you up and you become a better version there of yourself. I Talk love that. Vacancy sign for better people. Yes. That's beautiful. But you know what? Something, something for me, because it's not just like about like my partner or, you know, stuff like that. Um, something I learned was the kind of the catalyst for me is I had, uh, I'd been in a job that I was miserable at for a really long time. I mean, I, I think everybody is, and you've, you've already talked about like, yeah. but you were saying this is a job I know I need to leave. Whereas me, I was like, this is a job I, I have to be at because it, I make a certain amount and I've got all these things I got to pay for these responsibilities. And then I eventually got forced into the position where I, I had to leave and it was transformative. So I learned I can start molding the environment around me. So instead of me having to contort myself and all these, like a Cirque du Soleil performer into these crazy positions to fit into these, I can start molding the environment to fit around me. And it was so freeing. It was um, like so much uh, de-stressing, I guess, associated with that. Like I can just be who I want to be and who I am all the time. Like I don't have to like constantly contort. And so learning I could do that in one aspect of my life started allowing me to, or I guess maybe give me permission or show me that it's possible in all aspects of my life. And it's so crazy how rapidly things can get better when you realize that you can change everything around you to fit so much better. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've got a metaphor. It's actually a joke that I heard a long, long time ago. I was a kid and I never quite understood it, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's about this guy who uh, ends up getting a suit fitted. Okay. Gets the suit, he puts it on and just sort of like the, it's not fitting right. So like, you know, the collar needs to be up in the tail. He says, you know, if you just hold your shoulder up like this, it'll fit. <laughs> okay. He says, well, what about the sleeve over? Well, if you just you contort yourself a little bit, but that's, oh, all right, that sleeve for it. And what about the bottom, the, the hem kind of, no, well, if you just, you know, he's, he's giving him all these different positions to, okay. 
So he says, okay. So he leaves the tailor shop and he's walking down the street and he's got this, the way he's walking, he's like kind of a limp, what have you. He <laughs> walks by, he says, look at that poor son of a gun, huh? He says, yeah, but he's wearing a hell of a suit. <laughs> and that's exactly what you described. All these twists and current, just becoming a different version of who we are. And there you are hobbling down the street, but boy, look at that suit. Well, a suit isn't what matters. It's the guy who's in it. So, you know, the fact that you learn this from like that, you can't be that guy. That was me. That was me for the longest time. Hmm. Me too. That's I would why, say. I can't like this on, you know, on a, on a soapbox because I don't know how many people I'm hitting. You know, so yeah. what I, what I teach my class is seven. So like, okay, I got seven, but I think to myself, maybe in 25 years, and it's like, thank God Mark told me that because. That's exactly what I learned along the way. And I can't be that guy wearing the horrible suit or the really nice suit, but it has become contorted inside. Mm. Well, you know, it's something I've noticed, like, because, um, and I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but like legacy, like what kind of legacy you're going to leave. And uh, I always say, there's never going to be a building named after me. I'm never going to have a scholarship with my, you know, it's like, nobody's going to remember me right. after I'm in a box in the ground. But um, what I have learned is that you really truly leave a legacy through people, right? And so if there's seven people in front of you and you can light something inside of them, they're going to carry that and they're going to, you know, contribute that light to other people, right? So it's these these big ripple effects that you have just through people and the idea of, you know, you get excited to talk to, to kids once a week in your class, but that's not just those kids in your class, right? It's everybody else that they're going to impact on down the road. I think that's such... A beautiful thing when people give of their knowledge of themselves like that i mean you're changing the world you know you, know, you hope but here's where i would say the same thing you know i i shine this light to you then if you shine a piece of that light to somebody else yeah that's how that light continues right and it just sort of like the and for me sometimes i think you know i've had so many lumps in my life we're sort of like the i'm telling you there were plenty there there have been plenty of these podcasts in the past where i I could have had a cadre of people to say, I'm glad I'm not Mark Amato. In other words, <laughs> how is he going to come out of this hole, folks? Okay. But has managed to, but where I come from, and because of, or in spite of, I be, this is how I became a stronger person is how I managed to do that. And yeah, if that were my legacy, you know, God bless, you know, um, to shorten the journey for others. And I'm not sure if I'm shortening it so much as um, shining a light. You know, this this 22-year-old nothing, uh, Chase, just starting out. You know, I said to him by the end of it, I says, you know, Chase, in an hour and a half, I says, I've seen you transform. I says, here's the bottom line. I says, you're going to make plenty of mistakes. I could see it. No, no doubt about it. There'll be different ones that we're not talking about. Mm -hmm. But this one kind of gave you a little jump start to look back to say, oh, that's right. Mark said, because I told him, I says, if you're in a job for more than two years and things aren't moving along, it's time for you to leave. Why? Because I I knew a writer's assistant that we had on Sweet Life who should have been a writer, okay, but was led to believe she was going to become a writer and basically squashed her dream, okay, mm. because it was never happened. But where I go is that was her journey. Maybe her journey was, believe it or not, to become a therapist. Maybe that that led to her journey. I don't know. It's just we're here on a path. Hopefully, we either are uh, receptive to that wavelength like we're talking or you're not. This is going to be noise to some people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think also, you know, even if they um, if they don't take that lesson in, maybe they're feeling that same thing at that moment, and um, they know they're not alone. Or right. 
sometimes, I mean, anybody with kids, you you could attest to this, is you never know what's going in their head. You say a thousand things every day to them, and it doesn't seem like any of it sticks. And then 10 years later, they remind yeah. you of this one thing you said. You don't even recall it, but, you know, it, it made some palpable impact on their life. So it's it's funny how you never quite know what's the right thing to say at the right time. But the fact that you put it out there is the important piece, right? You shared yourself here. You shine your light. You show people who you are. I think that's right. awesome. Right. Mm. Mark, I think we could sit here and, well, I don't know about you, but I could sit here and listen to you talk forever. I am uh, a true lover of storytellers. And, and sir, you are uh, absolutely one of the best we've had uh, oh, on this you. podcast. And so I want to be also very respectful of your time. I know we're coming up on it. And so right here at the end, I like to ask people if there is something you would like to share, like you got anything coming up. Is there any way you'd like people to interact with you out on the internet? What does that look like? Um, it's interesting. I mean, you found me through LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, there there are definitely ways to contact me. What I would say, you know, and I say this with, uh, you know, with my students, because it's sort of like, the, you know, I call them, you know, each 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 uh, year, I, you know, I send them into, into the into the universe. I said that you always have my email. You always have the able to uh, to contact me again. I unfortunately don't have the ability to read material or um, um, have too much of sort of like that one on one. I mean, I'm always encouraging. Um, in terms of the things that I've got go uh, up on the horizon right now, because of the strike, I've got two movies in development. Nothing this year. But I'm really kind of eager to see what happens here in the future because um, kind of I want to sell blue sky. In other words, I've got sort of big ideas, but everything that I talked about here for the last 90 minutes, Mark Amato is putting on red. Okay. In other words, I'm pushing all the chips here on red. If they show up, great. If they don't, hey, guess what? I'm not walking away from the table. I'm going to bet again and I'm going to bet again. <laughs> at, least the, at least the chips that I'm putting on red, I... 100% wholeheartedly believe in. So my my if the philosophy means anything that I will eventually see a payout. Whether that happens in a year or two is is regardless because it's sort of like the I'm doing what I'm, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. And what I would hope anyone in hearing this would be sort of like the okay, if you had that a novel in you, you had that great idea, if you had whatever that is, if you're in that job that's sort of like that well Mark said 2 years and it hasn't happened. Guess what? Here's my last thing. And I even say the article in college. I read an article in Fortune magazine that said the importance of writing down your goals. And I've got a movie idea that I'm doing with this. It's sort of like, can you imagine if you were in college at 21 and you write down all your goals and you take a look at them now at 35, 40? Well, statistically would say that you have achieved a lot of those goals. Okay. But what if you didn't? Here's the thing is, I believe our our destiny is in a constant uh, need of a rewrite. So you may have wanted to be married or in that great job or all those things by a certain age. And now you find yourself at that point. I can't tell you how many former lawyers I've talked to, okay? How many people that are coming out of a bad marriage that are sort of like, okay, finally hitting the reset button. It's never too late. And my my feeling is, and it's you know, not, never... God bless. I've been in a situation where I had to say, "Hey, guess what? God's saying, Mark, you've got um, a certain amount of years to live." I've always been very, very uh, uh, attuned to that. How many years we we have here on the planet? And all I can say, you know, and I've I've lived a life, uh, a, an identity of being married with kids that was not satisfying in the least. Hey, is it too late to shift gears? Never. And I was, I really, really believe that. 
All you need to do is have the desire. And I don't care whether you want to lose the weight, you want whatever it is that is, you know, I would like to have more hair. Okay, maybe that I, that one I can't have. But <laughs> anything else, and again, with the, the strangest thing, and I will say this to you, which is sort of like, it's funny how you'll look at a, a, a you'll t- look at yourself with a certain amount of, let's say, a, a, a liability. With me, it'd be, you know, the scars that I endured from my accident, where when you're in the company of somebody for five or 10 minutes, that's the last thing you notice. Okay, you, you shave your head. Okay, or even think, ask, when did you start shaving your head? No, by this point of the conversation, the shaved head isn't part of who you are. It's who you are that's sort of like shining through. And I really believe that that's 90% of the game here is sort of like the dispel the stuff that you can't control because there's so much. Worry's the, here's the one I'll leave you with. Worry, Walt Disney said, worry is a waste of imagination because you experience the same experience twice. The one you have conjured up in your head, okay, and the one that you live out. And if you do anything, do a little research on Walt Disney, okay? He put his entire fortune on red, okay? And that was to build Disneyland, okay? His brother said, what are we doing, all right? He bought that plan there in, in, in Orange County because it was cheap. He had this dream to build, so like, no, here was, and here, here was his vision. I want to create a place where uh, uh, parents can experience the same joy as their children in a place together. Hmm. That was his. That was his elevator pitch, and I mean the rest is okay. So what if some? What if he listens to someone who said no? Just continue making freaking cartoons. Well, that's what we do. It would be a whole different universe. So if you go to that place, it's sort of like that. Guess what? The world really is your oyster. You only put your limitations on it. Okay. And at the end of the day, why are you putting limitations? Okay. Why are you worrying about, well, then this may happen. Yeah. But I would rather die knowing, Hey, I gave it every try possible. Okay. And then people say, boy, like Mark really, he went for it. Damn it. And sometimes I'm as proud of my failures creative as I am my successes because at least it got me to a place to try. So yeah, that would be, that'd be the, on my, um, uh, on my gravestone don't stop trying yeah. no i think it was uh, uh Ch- churchill who said failure is the the lack of trying once you admit failure is when you stop trying mm, i love it that's such a, a good message to go out on mark let me uh let me hit stop on all this stuff but <laughs>